and culture lovers. This is Jules, your host of the All Things Iceland podcast. Welcome to this week's episode, which is a bit different than my normal episodes because I'm going to share why I moved to Iceland. So this is quite personal, and I get this question a lot, mainly because I was born and raised in New York City, so people find it very difficult to understand why I would move to such a small country and a place that averages relatively chilly temperatures all year long. After sharing Ingelver's Arnason's story last week in my last podcast episode, and he is the man who founded Reykjavik, I started to think about my own story and how I came to live on this island. So let's just jump right into it. I won't go into all the details about how Gunnar and I's relationship evolved because I have a video coming out on YouTube that's all about it. And honestly, I could dedicate a whole podcast episode to that just because there are a lot of things that happened over the course of 12 years for us to get to this point. But just know that, like I mentioned, I met him 12 years ago at a party I was at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, or RPI, for any of you who know about it. At the time, I had met a guy on campus who was in grad school who happened to also be Icelandic, and we became friends. And he had Icelandic friends coming to visit him, and I ended up getting invited to that party. So essentially, just by chance, I met Gunnar all those years ago when I was in college, just starting out. And we weren't really friends or anything. It was just more of mutual attraction that pretty much stayed dormant in terms of we never ended up becoming anything until about five and a half years ago. We were in a long-distance relationship for three years. And the first time we lived together, so me and Gunnar, is when I moved to Iceland in 2016. If someone had asked me if I would ever have considered moving to Iceland before I started dating Gunnar, I would have flat out said no. (laughs) And I didn't have anything against Iceland, of course, but I just didn't know anything about the place. So I assumed it would be more of a hassle to live there than it was worth. And like you or many others who didn't know much about Iceland maybe before researching it, your assumptions about the place are pretty extreme. And that's kind of what I had in my mind, was this extreme place that probably wasn't that great to live in or, you know, wasn't didn't have a lot of things available to me in terms of career, food options, and, and different other things. As well as I also imagined that it was really far away and not realizing that it was only a five-and-a-half-hour plane ride from New York City, for instance. So I just think it's kind of funny how love has the ability to change your mind about things. (laughs) When I did move to Iceland in June of 2016, I started working the very next day after I arrived in the country. So I didn't have a lot of time to think about my feelings regarding living in another country. Also, Gunnar and I had gotten married before I moved to the country. So I think that was another thing in terms of for a U.S. person or U.S. citizen being able to move to Iceland There are only a few ways in which you can do this, and one of the easiest, for sure, is getting married. Gunnar and I had already gotten engaged before I knew I'd be moving to Iceland, and since we were already engaged, we thought, why don't we just have, like, you know, a lope (laughs) and 
and just get married so that we know, you know, already we're planning to do this and we'll just have a much bigger celebration for our wedding later on. We plan on not telling anyone about the elopement, mainly because we didn't want to make a big deal out of it. But as I mentioned, I'm making a video about this. And so you'll kind of hear how that all went down. (laughs) Not exactly how we planned, for sure. But yeah, so the fact that I was already married did make it extremely easy for me to move to the country. Otherwise, I would have had to go down other routes, one of them being having the company that I work for sponsor me, which is a whole other deal. And getting the job that I ended up securing and currently working now, it took about seven months of applying to different places and looking diligently and following up to get this specific job. And I feel I feel and felt, of course, at the time, very fortunate. And I was so excited about my job opportunity, and I wanted to do so well that I mainly focused on that when I moved to Iceland. And just if you're curious, what I do is I'm the content marketing manager for a company called Icelandic Mountain Guides, which is an outdoor adventure company in Iceland. By the way, nothing is here sponsored. I'm just kind of throwing in those tidbits because I feel like people are going to ask me questions like, okay, you have a job, but what do you do? And how is it possible that you're able to do that, you know, move to the country? Because it's not like I spoke Icelandic or anything when I moved I actually am still learning and, of course, way better at understanding and speaking Icelandic than when I moved two and a half years ago. But this role allowed for me to use the skills that I already had in order to add value to where I was working. But the funny thing is that you would think adjusting just to life in Iceland would have been difficult. But one of the hardest adjustments for me in the beginning was learning to live with another person. (laughs) So I lived on my own in a studio apartment in New York City for about three years before moving in with Gunnar in Iceland. So just the idea of adjusting to another person's like way of wanting to clean up or how they live in general, their ideas about how a place should look or, you know, agreeing on furniture, all these things, was just a huge hurdle for me to jump over and to learn and for both of us to learn to compromise and I think it's been of course a good challenge for the two of us and we definitely are now in a place where we feel much more comfortable with our living situation and we've gotten into a really good groove so I'm happy about that (laughs) and and of course all the cultural differences such as the language and traditions were things that I needed to adjust to but I learned a lot about these cultural differences and traditions during my visits to the country before I moved. I probably visited at least four to five times, maybe even six, before I moved here and staying usually about two to three weeks at a time. Living here is so much different than visiting, of course, but I luckily experienced a lot less culture shock when I finally moved. I do have to mention that I feel like marrying into an Icelandic family has given me an advantage when it comes to coping with living here. And there are many other people who have married into Icelandic families who feel the same. Many foreigners that move to Iceland do not have ties to an Icelandic family and can feel quite lonely or left out, especially around the holidays. Icelandic people can be quite closed off when it comes to celebrating the holidays and other activities. They are very family-orientated, and most of the time their celebrations are just family members or very close friends of the family that are nine times out of ten Icelandic as well. Being included in the various activities 
made me feel like a part of the family immediately. And that, of course, made living here even more of an enjoyable experience. Also, I think it helps that, in general, Gunnar's family is really lovely and we you know, are intellectual. So we had the opportunity to bond on many different levels, whether it's talking about science, the world, politics, religion. There's a lot of respect that his family has, I think, for other people's opinions, but of course for their own. And everyone, I believe, gives each other the space to talk. And it feels like a safe space to share your opinions and and I know for sure that it's also helpful that my, a lot of my opinions align with theirs. <laughs> so it wasn't like I was jumping into a family of people who had total different ideas about the world or supported, you know, thinking that made me uncomfortable or anything like that. While I do understand a lot of Icelandic and I do speak to my husband in Icelandic at home a lot of the time, I'm continuously learning and working on my conversational skills. It is challenging, but it's also a lot of fun. Thankfully, there are a decent amount of resources online that are available. If you're interested in learning the language, I will have a link to some of those resources so that you can check them out. I use a tutor, an online tutor at the moment, which is awesome. And I highly recommend you considering using a tutor or taking classes if you're serious about wanting to learn this language in a systematic way. The hardest part is the grammar, and it has a lot to do with memorization and just using it. And I'm getting much better at that, specifically because I'm keeping a journal in Icelandic. So just for reference, for anyone who's curious about that, part of my adjustment has been kind of learning to think more in Icelandic. And keeping a journal has helped me a lot with that. And I think probably with any language, that's the case. But I didn't realize how impactful journaling can be. So that's for sure, at least for Icelandic, and the grammar has given me an opportunity to kind of see where my weaknesses are and to write out my thoughts and learn how to put them down on paper. And if my brain starts to absorb that, then I can, of course, start saying things because I know that they're correct or I feel like they're more aligned with what is correct. As many of you know, Iceland is a predominantly made up of white people. No surprise there. However, some of you might not know that I'm a black woman. I'm mentioning this because a part of adjusting to life in Iceland for me has been to deal with looking different than almost everyone else that lives here. In New York City, where I'm from, it's a place where there's a lot of cultural diversity. To shine light on what it's like to live as a black person in Iceland, I created a YouTube video with my friend Tabitha about this topic. I will embed the video in the show notes on my website from foreigntofamiliar.com if you want to check it out. To my surprise and relief, the video has been well received in Iceland. Many Icelandic people and non-Icelandic people have thanked us for sharing our experiences. I have also fe- been featured in the Icelandic news, including Visir, the Reykjavik Grapevine, and Iceland Review. I will have links to those articles in the show notes if you want to check them out. And I'm starting to write some articles of my own to talk about different experiences that I'm having, not just race-related, but come to find out in Iceland, that is something that Icelandic people are interested in learning more about because they're not normally coming into contact with other people of color. There are very few people who immigrate here or who end up living here that 
look that much different than them. Culturally, yes, maybe, you know, there are Polish people or people from Eastern European countries that move here. So culture-wise, it's different, but they don't always look different than them, which is another layer, of course, to how a person can feel different. And if you're not aware of this, I sense that people like to stare at each other, at everybody. <laughs> so um, that was an adjustment definitely for me is just kind of learning about specific cultural things or or characteristics of people that are shared amongst many people here and learning how to assimilate to some of it and learning how to address it and just talk about my feelings and and have a cultural exchange which is really what this is all about and to be 100% honest I was afraid about moving to Iceland because I thought that I might be discriminated against just purely because of the color of my skin. If you're from the U.S., you might understand why I would say that. This happens there quite often, and it is a problem. But thankfully, I've not felt that here. Iceland is not a perfect place, but it has been a pleasant surprise that almost everyone I've interacted with has wanted to learn more about my experience and wanted to share their own. So I think there is a lot of space here for cultural exchange, and I think that's really beautiful. And I'm just continuously thankful for being able to be a part of that conversation and unknowingly thrust myself into that conversation when I created the video that I mentioned earlier. Another way that I've had to adjust is that I am vegan or plant a plant-based eater. And when I met Gunnar five and a half years ago, I was not fully plant-based so I was dabbling in it, but I hadn't committed yet. Being lactose intolerant made it easy for me in terms of the dairy products, because most people were saying that cheese is the hardest thing for them to give up, but cheese and dairy milk and all that, we don't get along. So it was really easy for me to not have to worry about, you know, my cheese addiction. But I did notice that I'd started, that my body wasn't much of a fan of meat, so I started cutting back on that as well. And I think it took maybe about a year before I took the plunge to just do like 30 days, total vegan, and it just stuck. And it was it's felt good ever since. And I continuously am amazed at how well my body feels being on a plant-based diet. I was somewhat concerned about how I would be able to live in Iceland as a vegan because meat and dairy are a very big part of the diet here. However, many visits to the country helped to ease my concerns. The vegan society in Iceland has been growing at a rapid rate. Veganuary, which is going on right now, which is when a person takes the challenge of being vegan for the month of January, has been quite successful here. Not everyone that participates has remained vegan throughout the year, but it has helped to create more food choices at restaurants and the supermarkets. Many people are eating more vegetables, and that's amazing just in general. I enjoy cooking myself, so I don't really go out to that many restaurants, even though I have, of course, gone to some that I enjoy the vegan food. But I like knowing what's in my food and eating as clean as possible. While there aren't as many f fresh produce items available here in Iceland as there are in other places, such as New York or other major cities in the world, there are certainly enough for people who are strictly vegan. If you're interested in eating fake meats like seitan or soy-based products, there are a lot of those here. And there are some restaurants that are exclusively vegan. I also saw yesterday that in the vegan society group here in Iceland, 
that there is now an app called Vegan Iceland where you can look up vegan food restaurants, so the ones that are strictly vegan, and then options for vegan food at different restaurants in Reykjavik. And I am so excited about this, and probably all over Iceland. I haven't looked into the app closely yet, but I did download it because I just think this was necessary, a very necessary thing to come here, mainly because it's been somewhat difficult if you think that a place is vegan food and you call and, and all these things. It's just nice to be able to find it much easier. So if you're a visitor or a resident, uh, you will not have any issue finding vegan food to eat or cook. Granted, the items might be a lot more expensive than you're used to, but that is another story for another day. Another thing I needed to adjust to was the weather. So I thought I was prepared for how much the weather can change and affect you here, but I was wrong. Icelandic weather is a beast. The windstorms can be hurricane strength and it rains quite a lot. I had to buy a lot of waterproof gear. I also had to adjust to the fact that the wind might be howling or the rain might be beating up against the window or roof when I'm trying to sleep. Additionally, winters in Iceland usually mean icy sidewalks and roads. I am still a little afraid of falling on the ice here, and I do my best to take my time when walking on paths that might be slippery. The long, dark nights of winter and the long, bright days of summer are bizarre extremes that took a while for my brain to come to terms with. I used to wear a face mask in the summer and, of course, use blackout curtains, but I couldn't sleep if I saw any light coming through. So that was a little bit hard, especially my first summer. During winter, I've used the daylight lamp to help me feel more awake in the morning because the sky wouldn't become brighter until maybe 10 or 11. So you're going to work and you're arriving at work when it's dark in the winter and then you're usually leaving work when it's dark. So in uh, the shortest day of winter, the sun might come out around 11 and then it sets at around 3. It's a pretty difficult day and... It's hard because you're so excited about brightness, but in Iceland, because it can rain or snow or just have some storm going on, it might be that you're not, you don't see the physical sun, like you don't see the shape, the round shape of it. You might just see that the sky gets brighter and then it gets darker. <laughs> and that is really bizarre for me. I was not used to that. It took about two years before I had developed effective coping mechanisms for dealing with summer and winter in Iceland. As I had mentioned in previous episodes, Having a routine has helped me a lot, especially with winter. However, the most effective method I have found that made adjusting to living in Iceland much easier is embracing its nature and respecting the power of its nature. I have walked, hiked, climbed, traveled by car, boat, and so on in this country. I am always in awe of how beautiful and fragile the nature is here. I didn't connect with nature in this way when I lived in New York City. Being able to do it in Iceland has changed my life for the better, for sure. So I definitely encourage you to come to Iceland to learn more about it. If you're thinking about moving here, I do think it's worth it to visit a few times. I do know some people who have moved without visiting the country before, and some people really thrive on that. For me, it would have been much harder not knowing what was in store, or at least having an idea of the weather, food traditions, all those different things if I hadn't visited. So of course to each their own, but my advice would be <laughs> visit. And if you're coming from the U.S., 
it's just good to know what your options are in terms of how you can transition to living here. I'm thinking about creating a video about that just because I do know some people who are interested. Iceland is a great country to live in and there are a lot of opportunities that are opening up especially in the adventure tourism area or industry, if that's something of interest to you. So now have you learned a little bit about me and what it's like living in Iceland, or at least what it was like adjusting to Iceland, I'm going to move on to the next segment of the show, which is the random fact of the episode. As I'd mentioned, the majority of the people that live here are Icelandic, meaning they have heritage from the Vikings or settlement times and... Many of them, I think it's like 93% of the country, labels themselves as Icelandic. As of 2018, there are about 350,000 people living in Iceland, and about 7% of the population are foreigners. The largest population of foreigners here are Polish, which make up about 3.14%. The U.S. population is, is much smaller, so there aren't that many foreign people living in Iceland, even though when you go downtown, you'll see a lot of tourists and foreigners because that's where the hub is essentially for foreigners now. But everywhere else around the country, the majority of people are Icelandic. And then you will kind of see it that there you'll run into some Polish people or maybe a few others from different cultures, maybe even some, some Asian cultures. So the Icelandic word of the day appropriately is utlendingur, utlendingur. Dingur, which means foreigner. And again, slowly, that's ut len ding ur. Ut len dingur. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of All Things Iceland, in which I shared some about my story and how I ended up here. I upload a new episode every week, so make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss out on those when the new ones come out. If you want to connect with me, see when new episodes are published, and check out my adventures in Iceland and abroad, which there are many of them, I will have links to my social media profiles on my website, from foreigntofamiliar.com. I also, for this episode, will have pictures of me in Iceland, if you're curious about just seeing me and my partner. If you have enjoyed listening to this episode, please leave a review if you haven't already. Og Schaumst, blöd lecker.